yourself that you value Jesus. Uh, many times we don't recognize our presence, our attendance, and, and the things that we do here shows not only to ourselves but to those who know us that we value Jesus. And that's important because many times in the course of how we live our lives, that's not always on display. But every now and then, you and I need to recognize we need to show ourselves and the world that we value Jesus. And so I'm so thankful to see all of you who are here, especially for those who are our guests. Uh, if you are a visitor, you're a guest, and you were given a green card to fill out, uh, I'm going to ask if you have not already filled that out, please go ahead and fill that out. If you have filled it out, uh, simply raise your hand and one of our ushers will come and pick up those cards. We want to make sure that the brothers who are going to acknowledge you at the end of the service have that information. Uh, and so, okay, we have a card down here. And again, as soon as you fill that out, if you're a guest, just simply raise your hand up. One of these brothers who are standing around should be alert to see your hand. Should be alert, brothers. I'm giving you a hint. Be alert, and you just quickly uh, go over without making a fuss or distraction and simply pick up the card. And that way, the person who will do our announcements a recognition will be well prepared and he can sort through the handwriting to make sure he knows how to pronounce the names. If he doesn't know, he can ask for help before we get to that point uh, so that uh, he will be able to accurately call us what we want to be called by. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, okay. If you're not already at the three passages that uh, have been read by RJ, please go ahead and put a finger on uh, 1 Samuel 18, another finger on 19, and then another uh, finger on chapter uh, 20. And we're looking at some key verses in those passages that will help us flesh out the theme for this morning's uh, lesson. And so today I want to talk about the value of Christian friends. Amen. The value of Christian friends. I, th I think too many times we don't value Christian friends. Friends. Now hear me well. I didn't say we don't value having friends. I said we don't value having Christian friends. Because if you look in your life and all of your friends are non-Christians, then you need to get some new friends. Uh, if you look in, uh, at your life and you, you really you don't think you have a friend at all, well, you need to hear this lesson also. In this life, we need some flesh and blood folk to walk with us. You cannot talk to yourself all the time. You need to talk to another living human being who can every now and then respond to what you're saying. And so even those of us who are loners and we're introverts, you and I need to recognize we still need a friend or two. Uh, God said it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man or woman to be alone. And it's not always about romantic relationships. Sometimes you just need some good friends around you. If nothing more to tell you about yourself when you're out of order. I know some of you think you never get out of order. And maybe that's why you don't have any Christian friends. Your non-Christian friends won't tell you the truth. Your Christian friends will tell you the truth about yourself. And then pray for you when you get mad at us. Because we know you're out of order. We ought to value people who tell us the truth in love. Amen. And some of us, because we're not surrounded by Christian friends, we're just not used to folk telling us the truth. Uh, we're not used to people just laying it out online the way it is. People who know you, they know your history, they know where you're from, they know your kinfolk, uh, they know your life, and yet they still love you. Yeah, that's a real friend. Somebody who knows all your dirt and who still puts up with you. And some of you thought only your spouse was supposed to do that. Well, I got news for you. If you got a good friend, they do the same thing. The value of Christian friends. Uh, I hope if you have a Christian friend or two uh, this day, after this service is over, you'll call them up, you'll text them, you'll email, and say, the preacher talked about the value of having Christian friends, and I am glad you are my Christian friend. So tonight, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask to see how many of us did that. Because if you got a Christian friend, that ought not to be difficult. I know some of you probably texting already in worship service. They don't do it during the worship service. 
Don't do it in the worship service. There'll be plenty of time after we dismiss. And while you're out in the parking lot, and while you're going to your car, that you can do all that. I want to share a, a, a few quotes on friendship that I ran across as I was preparing for this lesson. The first quote uh, is coming from Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 9. It says, a sweet friendship refreshes the soul. See, a friend ought not be somebody who drags you down. They ought to be someone who encourages you, who lifts you up, who helps you to see uh, a brighter day. And they ought to be people who add blessing to your life, not cursing to your life. You ought to be happy to see them coming. A good friend knows all your stories. A best friend helps you create them. So there's some, there's some people in our lives that they're good friends and they, they know us right now. But there's some folk who've been in your life for a long period of time. They know you way back when. So they know the good, the bad, and the ugly about you, and they still love you. They know your kinfolk. They know the environment that you came from. They know the struggles that you have had, or they know the blessings that have been there because they were there with you as you navigated uh, the times. I, I, I periodically share with you my friend Glenda who we have known each other for over 50 years. We, we grew up together right across the street from one another. And I'm going to say this, you may get mad at me, but she just celebrated her 60th birthday. <laughs> She's in Georgia, so she won't even hear this. Because I know sometimes you women don't like your age being uh, exposed. But she's, she's a real friend. Uh, we went to high school, to, well, we went to uh, middle school together, high school together, college together. I was in a wedding. I was in a vow renewal. I'm the godfather of a first child. Uh, so we have a long history. And, and every now and then I have to get my, my, my two-hour phone call from him. Because when we talk, it's a good two hours. <laughs> and we catch up, and it's almost like we haven't missed anything. Because we were there in the beginning. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse number uh, 9, the A part of that says, Two are better than one. Because they have a good return on their labor. It is good to have somebody who walks in this life physically with you. And, and you got your spouse, and you got your boyfriend, you got the girlfriend, but you need somebody else. Somebody who's not necessarily clouded by emotion and all that kind. Somebody who can tell you about yourself. And, and it's good to have them as you go through whatever it is in life, the good points and the bad points, and to be able to share from somebody who knows where you, where you came from. Anybody got any real Christian friends out there? Just throw your hands up real quick. Okay, that, that's, that's not a whole lot of us, but that's a good number. Now, I said Christian friend. I didn't say church friends. So now if you had church friends on your mind when I asked the question, then your hand shouldn't have gone up. Because we have a whole lot of church friends, i.e. folk we know when we come to church services. Now, I need for you to know you don't know people just because you go to church services with them. You see them in the worship service. They look nice and pretty. And they say all the right things. Uh, but if you talk to them on Monday, or if you can find them on Monday or Tuesday, <laughs> you may discover that that connection that you thought existed because we sit beside each other in worship on Sunday or we sit beside each other in Bible class is not there. So, so we're looking for something a little bit deeper. And, and, and you'll see that as we look at uh, these two uh, men in our text. Now, in our text, there, there are two main individuals in the verses that we're going to be dealing with, but there's a third one over there, and I'll, I'll say a little bit about him. So you got, you got Jonathan, and you got David, and you got Jonathan's father, Saul. But the main people in the thread today are David and Jonathan. So let me share a little bit uh, about these two uh, individuals. First of all, David. David was a close friend, intimate friend of Jonathan. David was the youngest son of Jesse. He was a shepherd boy. He was a musician, uh, but he was a giant killer. David spent a lot of his time in isolation, out in the desert, uh, looking after the family sheep and other animals. And because of that, he had some encounters with some wild animals. And, and we read about the fact that David was able to be victorious over those animals. Thanks be to God. He was highly favored by God. So even uh, when you look at David's uh, early childhood, you look at how he dealt with Goliath, and you look at how uh, he was able to conduct himself 
uh, once he met Saul and Saul promoted him and whatnot, you see God blessing him and David becoming even more and more a person who has favor with God. Now, I need for us to understand, you don't need to get jealous of somebody else who is obvious has God's favor. If you're a Christian, you got it too. It just may not be as evident or visible because some of us as Christians don't do as much as other folk do. That's why you don't see it. Some of you will get that a little bit later. Uh, David was the second and the greatest king of Israel. You know, Saul was the first king, uh, but Saul was a, was a disappointment. But David came along. He was the second king, uh, and he was Israel's greatest king. Now, David's son, Solomon, became king uh, after him. But David was a person who most embodied kingship. Well, let's talk about Jonathan. Jonathan, by default, was a close friend of David. He was the oldest son of King Saul. Now, interesting, we got one friend who's the youngest in the family, and we got another friend who's the oldest in the family. That, that's a good mix, in case you guys didn't know, youngest and oldest in relationships. Uh, Don, Jonathan was next in line to be king after his father. So that's significant in terms of the relationship that Jonathan has with David, because some of us, if we were in Jonathan's situation, we would be jealous of David. Because David ultimately gets the role that traditionally would have gone to Jonathan. So he's next in line to be king after his father. Jonathan never held, based on what we read about in scripture, any official position. Yet he, yet he plays a prominent role. We didn't hold uh, any significant position. And I need for us to understand, you don't have to have a big title to be used by God. Because some of us, when we, when we come to church service and we start dealing with the people who got all the degrees and they got all these wonderful titles, we feel insecure about who we are. You shouldn't. The same God that blesses them, whatever it is they got, is the same God who blessed you. So be proud of where you are. Be proud of what God has blessed you uh, with. And recognize God is the one who unilaterally decides to give all of us what we have. It's not because of your goodness. But he never held an official position. And Jonathan died with his father on the battlefield. Now recognize we got two men who come from two entirely different worlds. Jonathan, prince, royalty, David, shepherd, not necessarily well-educated. Somebody's used to dealing with animals. Jonathan, soldier, used to dealing with people, adults. And God brings them in close relationship, and they become friends. And so the observation from that at the very beginning is you never know who may end up being a good friend of yours. You never know who, who God's going to bring in your life that may turn out to be your best friend, who you didn't start out in life living next door to or going to the same school. As, as a matter of fact, as mobile as our society is, where you grow up in one state, you go work in another state, you go to school in another state, and you end up meeting people in those locations that you form good relationships, good bonds with. God did that. God's looking out for it because God knows all of us need a friend. You need somebody to help you when you're in a new area and you don't know nobody. Amen. And we need to be thankful to God that, that he intervenes, that by his providence, he provides for us what we need. So in, in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, the Bible says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the, son of, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. 
And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So we have a beginning of a beautiful friendship and relationship here. The text will say uh, in verse number one that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. There was an instant bonding, connection, harmony that existed between these two men. And I stress these two men because as we're talking about the value of Christian friends, brothers, we need to have some Christian male friends. This long ranger, this macho attitude that you got is, is causing you to miss out on some riches in life that you could have, but you're too closed up, feel like I don't want to be vulnerable to another man. And so you miss the connection that you could have with somebody who better than anybody else understands what you're going through. Your wife cannot understand what you, a male, is going through all the time. And so we need to change this, this focus about how we, we're so standoffish. We all want to talk about it's the sports. You get a group of men together, sports is going to eventually come up, or we're going to talk about our jobs, or we're going to talk about the weather, but we're not going to have to talk about nothing personal. Contrast that when you get a group of sisters together. They tell all the family business <laughs> and are not ashamed, are not embarrassed, because all of them are doing the same thing. And we want to be macho and keep all of our stuff secret and whatnot. And we stressed out, stroking out, heart attacking out, ulcer out, high blood pressure out. And you want to know why, you, why it is. Because you won't let go. You won't release. And so we have an example of these two men, Jonathan and David, in this text, who are bonding, who they have harmony with one another. The text will even say, Jonathan loved David. Is that in your Bible? Highlight that. Jonathan loved David. There was no shame or embarrassment about the connection that these two men had for one another. Now, based on the fact that it is year 2022, I need to drop this caveat. Jonathan and David were not gay. They were not homosexual. They were two men who were bonded together, who loved each other. And if we were secure in our manhood, we wouldn't have a problem with telling another brother, I love you, or I care about you, or you're special or significant in my life. So, so the text is trying to help us to begin to see men can be friends, can have close friends. It's, I'm always, I was thinking about this when I was putting the lesson together. A, 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 a woman will refer to women and say, that's my girlfriend, and we won't think nothing of it. She's just a friend who happens to be a girl. Contrast that with a man who says, this is my boyfriend. You, you start thinking a whole nother kind of scenario. You, you know it's true. We, we, we have, we've accepted that a, a, a woman can say, this is my girlfriend. And think nothing of it. It's a platonic, caring relationship. Uh, but a man says that, uh, okay. Then we're, we're, ba we're backing off. We are changing how we view him. And, and, and so again, Jonathan loved David. And, and it was a God-honoring kind of love. Amen. They were not gay. So anybody who, use, anybody who would use this verse to support homosexuality is misusing scripture. And I need for you to understand, in the world we live in today, that's what people do. Yeah. This is one of the passages they go to to support homosexuality. Because they say David and Jonathan, they loved each other. They were men. But they don't know deep enough study to recognize this is not sexual love. This is bonding. This is caring. This is devotion. It's God-honoring love. And we'll see that as we look at some additional passages that shed light on their relationship. Now, it appears even in this text that Saul loved David. Uh -huh. You'll see verse number two. Saul took him that, uh, that day, that's David, and would not let him go to his father's house anymore. Uh, Saul, Saul didn't like David, but Saul doesn't love David. And you're going to see Saul is going to be wishy-washy. 
Saul has mental issues, okay? And, and so he's envious, he's jealous. Uh, you will see as, as the story goes, he tries to kill David multiple times because he's insecure. And when people are insecure, they will assassinate your character. They will do all they can to tear down your good name because of their weakness, their insecurity. And so we, we have a statement that helps us understand the relationship that exists between Jonathan and David. Uh, they loved each other. Now, one of the other things is the text will focus a lot on Jonathan. Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan made a covenant with David. Now, it focuses on that because of how Jonathan's daddy felt about David. Saul didn't feel any of those things toward David. And so in order to help us to see a contrast between the father and the son, uh, Jonathan is the one that is leading out. Now, I need for you to understand this, because some of you have been in relationships with people where you've had some friends who despise each other, but you got along with all of them. That's the situation Jonathan is going to find himself in. He has a good relationship with David, and he has a good relationship with his father. But his father does not like David. His father is going to show he's jealous of David. His father is going to try on multiple occasions to kill David. So imagine being in that kind of situation with your friend. And you know, his other friend can't stand him. Who's going to have the greater loyalty? Because that's really what it's going to boil down to. There's going to be a conflict down the line. And you can't play both sides against the other. And which is unfortunately what many of us try to do. We try to make everybody happy, even though you know these folk can't, talk, can't stand each other. And, and so sometimes you're going to have to make a choice. And the choice becomes easy when you recognize who's standing with God versus who isn't. That's why you need some Christian friends. So the text goes on in verses 3 and 4 uh, to talk about Jonathan made a covenant, relation, a covenant with uh, David. And as a result of that, he gave David some gifts. He gave David the armor that he had, uh, the robe that he had on, the sword, the bow, and the belt. Uh, and he, he gave him all his most valuable possessions. Now, now, part of what goes on here is something that foreshadows what's going to happen later. Jonathan understands David is going to be the next king, not me. Now, imagine for the average person, how they would have felt about that. Jonathan is in line to be the next king. But he sees through God's divine uh, intervention and how God is blessing David, that David is the man. So Jonathan is going to miss out on an opportunity to be king in the land. But he's not jealous. He's not envious. Because Jonathan knows God. See, if you're not careful, even when you got a good friendship with somebody, the devil will come in there and try to mess that thing up. And if some of us are honest, you've had some relationships in the past, some friendships that the devil came in and messed them up. Because we're people who accept hearsay on everybody. Oh, your friend, somebody comes, well, you know, your, your friend says something about you to me. She, he said, blah, 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 and you believe it already. See, this is when we get into real friendships. See, if you really are friends with somebody, you know their character. And some of the crazy stuff folks say, your friend said, you ignore. Especially when you consider who's saying it. Some of you have come to me tattletelling on other folk here. And because of the relationship I have with that person, because of the character and integrity they have shown me, I write it off. I'm not doing anything with it. It's going in one ear and out the other. First of all, because I knew if it was genuine, you go tell them, not come tell me. You know, folks just sometimes want you to act the fool. And so they'll bring you information, especially when you've demonstrated you will act the fool when folk give you information. So you get to do uh, their devilment. And they can sit back and say, well, I didn't do it. Your friend did it. 
And so Jonathan makes a covenant agreement with David, and as, as a result of that, he gives him gifts. Isn't that what friends do? They, they, they give each other stuff. They give each other stuff that is of value, not trash that they don't want. Because we are quick to re-gift stuff. Because we don't want it, and we just punt it off on other folk. I know Christmas is coming up soon. So if you got a good friend, you buy something, purchase something that fits your friend, not some stuff in the closet that you don't want. See, because if you're really a friend, you know the person's likes and dislikes and the kind of stuff they like. I know your sisters know, you know where your friends shop at, you know the favorite perfume that they want, you know their size, et cetera, et cetera. So when you get a, a gift for another sister, it's something that she wants. Because you all have been talking. Brothers, that's why when it comes to our holiday activities and when we're having a gift exchange, let's be real. Most of you get your wives to go out and buy something. Okay. Oh, I'm being too honest. Okay. Let me, let, me, let me move on. Let me move on. Let me move on. Talking about David and Jonathan. Okay. So, so we see the value of their friendship in this passage. And, and, and it becomes an example, really, of how our friendships ought to be with each other. When you have a real friend, uh, there's very little that you won't share with them. Thank you. There, there, there's very little that you won't share. Uh, some of you share clothes with the folks. You let, you let your friend drive your car. Uh, you give your friend money when they're down. Yeah. You don't loan it to them. Yeah. You give it to them. Come on, let's be real. Some of you got a friend, they really called you because you trust them. You know they wouldn't be asking if they weren't in need. And chances are this friend has bailed you out down the line, so it's no big deal. Hey, here's $500. Go take care of what you need. Well, Sister Jordan, in your case, you say, here's $1,000. Go take care of your need. So she got it that way. She and God, they got it that way. I'm just glad I know her. So when I get into a need, I can call on her. And, and so we, we, we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Let's take a glimpse now at chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Now, in chapter 18, he's, he's asking David to come and live with him. Now, uh, he's talking to Jonathan and to his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan saw Saul delighted greatly in David. Remember that relationship, that friendship that they have. So Jonathan told his friend, Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you, my friend. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Now Saul is lying here. I'll let you know that already. But, but, but just look at, uh, look at what's going on. Now when we get to chapter 19, David has already married Saul's daughter in the latter part of chapter 18. So, so David has a relationship with Saul's oldest son and with one of his daughters. So it's amazing. The family loves David. It's just that daddy doesn't. Now, come on. Uh, you guys have had some friendships and relationships with folk where some folk over here loved you and other folk over here well, let's just say uh, they didn't love you. 
how do you maintain those friendships and those relationships when you got all this hostility there? And, and how do you know what is appropriate and what isn't? Well, we can learn some things from David. Saul goes to, to Jonathan and his servant says, David got to die. So Saul, in essence, put a hit out on David. He wants his, his men to know and he wants his son to know. The text will say, but, but, but Jonathan had a relationship with David. So Jonathan was not going to have any part of that. Guess what? Jonathan goes and tells David, this is what my dad is planning for you. So you make sure you're in a secure place. And, and then Jonathan goes out and stands up for his friend. He goes out and has a conversation with his father and say, David has done nothing to you. David is innocent. He went out and killed uh, Goliath. You rejoiced when he did that. Uh, all that you've asked him to do, he's done it, he's done it well. Now, why are you trying to kill him? Because Jonathan knew David didn't have a legitimate reason. It wasn't as if uh, David had done anything wrong. The issue was all about Saul. And so I say that for, for, for those of you who are, who are dealing with your friends, uh, uh, be careful of these outsiders because they will come in and, and cause you to think or try to influence you to do something that will be harmful to your friendship with other people. There are people who sit back and they are jealous of the fact that you have a friendship with somebody and they don't have no, no friends. Uh, uh, they are jealous because you have someone who will, who will give their all for you and they don't have nobody who give nothing for them. Chances are that's because folks know their character. See, you only have to show yourself a scoundrel once for some of us, and we know you're a scoundrel. See, some of us will repeatedly give people chance after chance after chance, but they are continually showing you they're scoundrel. You, they can't be trusted. Why are you continually putting yourself in a position to be hurt by these folk, to be disappointed by these folk? What makes you think uh, something magical is going to happen? If the person won't repent, and they don't want to acknowledge their behavior is wrong, they're not changing. They'll simply tell you what you want to hear or what they know uh, will be pleasing to you while they got their own scheme over here. So one of the things that David demonstrates is loyalty to Jonathan. Real friends are loyal to one another. And they're not going to allow their friend to walk into an ambush. They're not going to allow their friend uh, to be harmed in any way if they have anything that they can do about it. So when you let, let these people go out and, 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 and get into situations that are going to be harmful to them, you're not a friend. At the very least, you ought to talk to them and say, this is around the corner, this is happening, whatever, whatever, uh, if you are aware. And if you're not aware, you can't do anything about it. And so I appreciate the fact that Jonathan tries to change his father's mind about David because Jonathan knows David is a good man. David has been a faithful a servant in the kingdom. He has honored you, and you have prospered, and the whole nation have prospered because of how God has used David. That's what real friends do for each other. So David didn't have to do this or say this. His friend did. So next time somebody comes to you with a whole bunch of junk about your friend, you need to intervene. You don't need to go back and say, you know, Sally Joe said this about you or Brandon said this about you. No, that's your friend. You know your friend's character. You deal with it. And too many of you need to stop these so-called friends who come back and tell you what other folks said about you. And ask them, why are you telling me? They told this to you. Why didn't you deal with it? If you were really my friend, you would have dealt with it, and I don't need to know anything about it. Hear me. You dealt with it, and I don't need to know nothing about it. That's what a real friend would do. And I'm thankful that Jonathan sticks up for his friend, David, even in this situation. Let's go to chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? 
What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, by no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father would do nothing either great or small without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Then David took an oath again and said, your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. So David has been on the run when we get to chapter 20 from, from Saul. And David's concern here is, what have I done that your daddy wants to kill me? Right. Well, what sin have I done? And, and so the idea is, uh, David is asking his friend, why is it these other folk ups, uh, uh, upset with me? What have I done? And the reality is, he hadn't done anything. Or he hadn't done anything wrong. He had just lived the life of godliness. He had taken on the responsibilities that God had placed on him, that Saul had placed on him, and the Lord had allowed him to be victorious. You do know there was a time when uh, David and Saul had gone out to war, and they're coming back, and the women start singing. You sisters can stir up some mess uh, sometimes. <laughs> but you can do it and not know you're doing it. And, you know, they said, well, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands, which was true. But when you got a king who has borderline personality issues, that's not what he needs to hear. It, it only enraged him and made him even more determined, I'm going to kill David. Because these people love him more than they love me. So, so, so if you're going to lead people, then one of the things you need to recognize is you can't be intimidated because other folk get recognition. You can't be intimidated, but if you're going to lead folk, you can't be upset when somebody says, John Doe did a good job, or Sally Joe did a good, and they didn't say nothing about you. They didn't have to say anything about you. You didn't do the job. They did. We have so many people who are just glory hounds. Uh, nothing can be said unless it's said about them. And what you, what you continually show as Saul show is your unfitness to lead. Because the job of a leader is to help everybody around them be better. That's what, that's what our job is. It's not about control. It's not about decision making. It's about helping other people to be the best that they can be. And too many times that gets missed in our desire to want to control and have power and be numero uno. And so David says, what have I done? What is my iniquity? What is my sin before your father that he seeks to kill me? David is frustrated. He's been on the run. And he just, you know, at a point, what did I do? Why, why doesn't Sally like me? Uh, why doesn't Joe like me? And there really is no answer other than to look at the insecurity of that person. Now, Jonathan is caught in the middle. He's got his father on one hand and his friend David on the other. It is no fun being caught in the middle of a war going on with your, with your friends. Because it's a no-win situation for you. Now, what's going to ultimately have to happen is you're going to have to decide whose side you're standing on. The side of righteousness or the side of godliness or the side of somebody who just lost their mind. Many times when we're caught in the middle and we got friends and we're all family members, some of you got family members that are like this. We try to keep peace at all costs. There are situations that occur, you can't do that. Either choice you make, somebody's going to be mad and upset with you. So you might as well make the right choice, stand with God, and let the chips fall where they fall. Stop siding with ungodly folk. Oh, but the ungodly folk are the ones who are likely to do something to you. That's true, they are. The godly person won't do anything to you. But you need to have some courage. And you need to have some integrity to stand with what's right versus what's convenient. 
So he's caught in the middle. So I can understand Jonathan uh, saying, oh, you know, my daddy's not going to kill you. And that's just talk and all that kind of stuff. Jonathan is naive about his father. The man has already tried to kill David three times. And David said, they're just a step between me and death. David understands how close he's come to death at Saul's hand. Jonathan doesn't because he's trying to walk the middle here. Got his father on one hand, his best friend on another. Uh, But I'm thankful that David sees through that. I understand what you're trying to do. But what happens if your father, because you believe your father's going to tell you everything he does, what happens if he doesn't tell you what his plan is? And so David has to put a plan in place for his own safety and protection. But we're thankful that even in the midst of all this, Jonathan has not turned his back on David. As a matter of fact, you could say he's betrayed his father. Jonathan knows that his father is not right. Jonathan knows that his father is borderline sinning. But Jonathan continues to demonstrate his loyalty to his friend. You and I need some Christian friends who will continue to demonstrate their loyalty to us, even when the chips are down, even when it seems like the majority is against us, because they know us. They know what's in us. Now, that's not going to happen where they know you that well without you spending some time with them, without you having some conversations with them, so they know what's in your heart. That's why all these superficial conversations that we, we many times have, we need to go beyond that and have real talk. Because that's when we really get to know each other. And when you have that kind of friendship, you, you don't feel that you're going to be judged by the person. You know if what you're doing is wrong, just like your friend do. But they steal your friend because they love you, they care about you, and they're trying to help you get through this. And so they're not violating your confidentiality. They're trying to help you, motivate you, and encourage you to do what's right. All of us need friends like that. And the sad reality is those are the people we want to stay away from. We want the cowards. We want the liars. We want the people who are are with us for what they can get out of us. And then down the line we discover we've been used by them folk. Then we're all of a sudden upset and want to curse and do all this other stuff when folk were trying to tell you. That person's not your friend. Okay, you you youngsters, you teenagers, you college students, I'm quite sure your parents have told you. Those folk are not your friends. I know you like them, you enjoy hanging out with them, but those are not the kind of people that are going to get you to where you want to go. And you say, oh, mom, dad, you don't know what you're talking about. Talk to some people who were that age, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and they'll tell you their parents were right because them folks strung out on drugs or locked up in jail or they haven't done nothing with their life. And in this life, you've got to have the courage to launch out into the unknown every now and then. You, you can't play it safe all the time. Your friends have no aspirations of doing anything significant in life. You need to go to college. You need to get an education. So you can get a good paying job. McDonald's and Burger King are fine when you stay at home with your parents. But McDonald's and Burger King will not pay a mortgage payment or pay a car note. You have to make some of them big green like Brother Brian does in order to do all those kinds of things. You eventually want to get out of your parents' house and get your own? Well, you have to find a way to prepare yourself so you can make the kind of money that will allow you to have that kind of independence. Right. You're not going to have that independence in my house or your parents' house. Right. And, and, and too many young people don't understand that. This is not your house. So I don't care you 20 or 30. You're not going to do everything you want to do up in here. Amen. You do that when you move out Amen. and you're paying your bills for yourself. Amen. And too many parents are afraid to tell your children that. 
And so you put up with stuff in, in your own house yeah. where you're afraid to rule in your own house. Oh, that's not even on my, on my, my notes. <laughs> but it needs to be said since I was just there. You guys know how it is. When a good thought comes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to share it with you. So, so let's look at what happens. What happens to these two friends? Uh, you guys know the story, but I'll just make a, a couple of statements. Jonathan and David remain good friends despite Saul. So they don't break up their friendship because Saul is continually trying to kill David. Their relationship, the bond is still there. David just has to navigate around Saul. And David being the godly man that he is, had opportunities to retaliate and even kill Saul himself. But David respected God and God's leadership enough to recognize that was not the right thing to do. And I need to remind us, taking vengeance into your own hands is not the right thing to do. I don't care who tells you that's what you ought to do. That's not good, sound, spiritual counsel. That's worldly counsel. And if all your friends are worldly, they'll tell you to do that. You got to have some God in you to recognize that vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord, not says you. In chapter 31, Jonathan dies with his father in battle. And, and, and when you read 2 Samuel chapter 1, 17 through 27, you'll see how David responds after he learns that his close friend has died. Uh, it, it, it is really a good model of what a eulogy ought to be like for somebody who dies who's a close friend to you. Because it's like a part of you dies. Someone who you value. I, I'm always amazed. Maybe, maybe it's just common to, uh, to the Northeast. Uh, in the South, when people die, and we have a funeral service, there are a lot of people, especially if the person has impacted people's lives, there are a lot of people who get up and share reflections on how this person has made a difference in their lives. I don't see that a whole lot up here of substantive. I say a whole bunch of riffraff that get up and folks saying a whole bunch of stuff that makes no sense. But, but I, I, I'm not seeing a whole lot of people who say things that demonstrate they were impacted by this person. And maybe that's because the person didn't impact anybody. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still a, a guest in this part of the country. But I just think at a funeral service for a person who's been a longtime church member there, somebody at that congregation ought to be able to say, this person helped me. This person was a good role model. And not be afraid that nobody else is saying anything because you're sharing from how that person has impacted you. And then, of course, David goes on to become Israel's greatest king. But just think about the friendship that's there and what they did for each other, the support they had for one another, and how Jonathan stood up for his friend David. And Jonathan did not let his father's issues with David stop him from having a close relationship. You and I need to stop letting, other, stop letting the haters dictate who your friends are. Because your haters, don't, they don't care nothing about you nor the other person. Now, they'll lie to you, like Saul lied. I'm not trying to kill David. I, you know, I, I love him. And yet, you're throwing a javelin at him. Right. And, and the only reason uh, David wasn't killed is David moved out of the way. Right. So Saul didn't miss him. He says David moved out of the way. And sometimes when people throwing darts at us, we don't move out of the way. And they hit us. And then think about the stuff that comes out of us when we get hit by the darts. And they really help us to understand, okay, you haven't been with Jesus a whole lot, have you? Because if you did, something different would be coming out of your mouth. You guys know how you stub your toe late at night in the morning? If you've been reading the word of God, one thing is going to come out of your mouth. Now, if you've just been consuming nature, uh, we don't want to know what's going to come out of your mouth. You guys know it's true. You haven't been saved all your life. 
And some of you in the last week or so may have let some, some foreign language come out. There you go, sister. I hurt you. So let me give you some lessons, lessons, uh, lessons for today. First thought is that real friends trust each other. Now, it takes time to build trust in a relationship. But if you're going to call somebody your friend, you ought to be able to trust them. If the relationship has not gotten to where you trust them, then they are an associate. They're somebody you know, but they're not your friend. I know 99% of you in this audience, but all 99% of you are not my friend. You're my brother, sister in Christ. You're a fellow church member. Uh, you're somebody I know. And, and I'm aware of that because being aware of that helps me to understand where this relationship is. Uh-huh. See, when you start uh, thinking somebody's your friend and they aren't, then and you start talking to them about certain kinds of things and you hear that other places, then that's a good sign. This is not a friend. Right. They don't necessarily mean any harm, but they're not your friend. So they have no, no, no desire to keep your confidence. You pass on information to them, they pass it on to the next person. A friend will use some discretion and recognize every conversation we have is not stuff that goes on the internet. It's a conversation between you and me, and that's where it all stays. So real friends trust each other, and it takes time to build up the trust. Real friends are loyal to each other. They don't desert each other just because somebody doesn't do what you want them to do. Sometimes, as a friend, you have to tell a person, N-O. N-O. Sometimes you need to help your friend say, you need to grow up. I'm not your mama, daddy. They have spoiled you. They did all this stuff for you. But that's not me. I'm not doing it. And, and recognize they're going to fly off the handle, get all mad, and, and talk, you don't love me, you're not my friend, and all that kind of stuff. So let them go on a tirade and a rant. Yeah, there you go. They're going to come to themselves, and they'll be calling you. And you just say, have you got your, your attitude right now? <laughs> Real friends have some loyalty to each other. So the fact that you says you, you tell me no, or I ask you to do something, and you can't do it, and you may have a very legitimate reason that you can't do it. I don't start acting like, well, you're not my friend. That's what children do. In the adult world, we recognize folk lives don't revolve around us. So you call a person on Monday and say, can you do something for me on Wednesday? Recognize they got a schedule independent of yours. If he's your friend, they'll say, I can't do it on Wednesday, but I'm available on Thursday or Friday. Maintain some loyalty. Don't don't cut your friend. Don't slander your friend. Don't allow folk to talk negatively in your presence about your friend without clearing that stuff up. Now, you can't stop them from talking, but you can stop them from talking to you. And too many times we let people assassinate our friend's character right in front of us. Now, that's the kind of stuff the person who did it would go tell your friend. You know, I was having a conversation with Brittany, and and I said this, and and Brittany didn't refute it, so it must be true. (laughs) Thirdly. Real friends express their feelings toward one another. Real friends are not afraid to say, I love you. You are important to me. I value our conversations. I appreciate the time that we're able to spend when we go out to lunch or go out to dinner or we take a walk together. Or I appreciate the phone call because you called just at the right moment. Or I appreciate the text or email that you sent me. Uh, it came just as I was having a bad day at, at the office or me and my uh, family or me and my, my spouse were having some issues, and so it, it, it helped me to rethink some things. If the person is your friend, you ought not be afraid to express your feelings and not feel like they are, they are expressing inappropriate thoughts. So, brother, if I come and tell you I love you, don't think I love you like you're a woman. Isn't that what we've been studying for the last weeks in, the, in Sunday Bible class about love, agape? So shouldn't we all be able to say that? I agape you. I'm going to do what's best for you. I, I have your highest good uh, intention. Uh, I, I, 
Everything that falls in line with that. Now, I'm not coming on, touching on you and stuff like that. But you never know. Some of you men like to hug. Give these big old bear hugs. But that's fine. Some men are more expressive than others. And we need to be okay with that. Rather a man expresses feelings in whatever manner he does than to keep it bottled up. And then, and then real friends sacrifice for each other. Jonathan put his life on the line for his friend David. He chose David over his father, even though he still loved his father. He shared uh, thoughts that his father shared with him so that David could protect himself. He didn't feel bad about the fact that David was going to take on a role that maybe before he met David that he recognized or thought was going to be his for being the next king. And you don't see in any of the passages that we looked at where Jonathan regretted any of what went on. He just thought about his friend that he loved, that he cared about, that he had made a covenant agreement with. And then I did mention that long after Jonathan had died, David remembered that Jonathan had a son, crippled son, struggling in a poor place. And David went and got his son, Jonathan's son, and brought him to the palace and allowed him to enjoy palace living, not hog pen living which is where Mephibosheth was. His name was Mephibosheth. So even in death, David remembered the covenant, the agreement that he had with his friend Jonathan. And some of us have been there for the family members of friends of ours who died. And you were there to help them to reflect back on their daddy or their mother. Some of you, your friends have had their children to come up here and go to school, and you've opened your house to your friend's child as if they were your own child, and you shepherded them and taken care of them. And the list goes on and on about things people do and have done for their friends and for family members of friends. That's why we need some Christian friends. You need some people who look out for you, who are there to deal with issues that you don't even know that are circulating out there. You need people who deal with the haters, so you don't even have to be confronted with the stuff. And all that does is bond you and help you to appreciate the person even more. So I began this by saying, if you have a real friend, when we finish today, you need to go call them, text them, email them, and say, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for the relationship that we have. Thank you for always being there. I could trust you. I could depend on you. Because I recognize I live in a world where that's not always the case. And if you don't have a real friend, first of all, show yourself to be friendly because sometimes we don't have no friends because we're not friendly. You're mean-spirited. You're ornery. Can't get along with nobody. You know how you are. And then you wonder why nobody wants to deal with you because of your attitude. Nobody wants to be around somebody who's always complaining and talking about other people. You ought to have something else to do. Talk about something good. This day, do you value Christian friends? When you, when, you, when, you, when you pull up your cell phone and you see all the numbers that you got programmed in there, and, and, and these people you call your friends, how many of them are Christians? When, 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 when you're seeking counsel or advice on, on, on something that you're struggling with, how many people do you contact who believe in God? Not just folk who've known you 
but they believe in God. So, you know, there are some parameters on what they're going to tell you to do. Right. Some of these folks you guys have, they'll tell you to do almost anything. Don't care that as a Christian you can't do that. People offer to give you a job that'll call you, uh, uh, that'll cause you to work on Sunday. Oh, I'm glad my friend found me this part-time job. But you're working on Sunday. How are you going to worship God? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I got to pay my bills. <laughs> Our problem is we have, we, have, we have bought into the world's mentality. And we, we, have, we have stopped being content yeah. with what God has blessed us with. You got a house to stay in, you got food to eat, you got a car to drive, but you're greedy for more. And and, and what you're willing to sacrifice is God. And hope that, you know, when when I get my life together, when I get my bills all paid for and I'm out of debt, then then I'll be a good Christian. It doesn't work that way. You got to be a good Christian with the little bit you got. And then that's an indicator of whether you'll be faithful when you get more. Because the Lord has promised to take care of our needs. We just get our needs and our wants all confused. We just put them all in the same pile. And because I see somebody else with this, I feel like I'm entitled to have it. But what makes you feel that way? You know what you're entitled to, right? It's death in a grave. For all have sinned. Anybody remember reading that? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin. So every day you're not a dead is a blessing from God. And, and we ought to live with some purpose. This day, if you have a statement, you have a prayer request, you have a confession that you need to make, we're going to give you the opportunity to respond.